0: Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, let me read Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23, and we'll just comment along the way, um, and we're going to look at this idea of how Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let me read in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going to the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Okay, let's stop there, and we need to do a little bit of explanation so that we understand what's happening here. Jesus is walking through the field with his disciples on a Sabbath day, which would have been the Sabbath for... uh, the Jewish people in the Old Testament times, and certainly they're still living in this Old Testament time and law when Jesus is with his disciples, would have been the evening sundown from Friday until sundown on Saturday, this whole day, this seventh day when God called his people to rest. What I think is peculiar here is you see the tension starting to mount between Jesus and these religious leaders, the Pharisees, it seems like they're like following him around. I mean, come on guys, don't you have something better to do? Isn't that just sort of that critical spirit is always just sort of looking at other people to see how they might not be doing it right? And so, you know, they're like little ninjas slipping through the field there, waiting for Jesus and his disciples to do something that they might object to. And in this instance, they think, aha, we've caught him. He is eating some of the grain on this Sabbath day. Now, Sabbath for God's people in the Old Testament was a day when God called them to rest. God himself, in the first couple chapters of the Bible, he creates the world. And then on the seventh day, it says that God, he ceased from his work and he, he rested. Not because God was tired. But think of it this way, that God, he transitioned from creating to ruling. And so even in his ruling, God is giving rest and order to his creation. And then God, after he rescues his people out of Egypt in Exodus, when he parts the Red Sea and he gives them this deliverer Moses to lead them through the Red Sea and to rescue them from Egyptian captivity. And then he establishes his people in the desert at Mount Sinai as he gives the law One of the laws he gave his people, in fact, one of the Ten Commandments, was to observe and to remember this Sabbath, this day of rest. And that Sabbath is to point back to this time when God rescued them, when it wasn't because of their work. Like, they didn't do anything. God gave them rest by saving them, and it's to point them forward to this day, because even though God had rescued them from Egypt, they were still in wandering in the desert and still had to get back into the promised land. They still had work to do, so to speak. But in this Sabbath, God is calling his people to look to him who is the only true rest. And so he gives them this Sabbath, and it's written about in the Old Testament. But here's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees took this good command of God, which was to rest on the seventh day, to remember what God has done through no work of your own, and to look forward to that day when God will fully and finally give you rest from all of your work. The Pharisees took this Sabbath law and they added stipulations to it. In fact, they added the thirty-nine different categories of types of work that you were not supposed to do. So it was a sort of add-on, it was like an app that they downloaded and added to the Bible, right? It was just an add-on. Thirty-nine different categories. God gives this sort of general and clear rule about rest on this day and don't do any work, and then they added on 39 different little categories, and one of the categories was that you couldn't pick grain and eat it. Another category was that you could only, this is sort of how specific they got, that you could only walk about 800 meters, which would have been 1,999 steps. I mean, who, can, who comes up with this number? Like, 2,000, like you got a little pedometer that you bought at like the sporting goods stores. And I guess they're carrying them around. Sort of the funny thing here is that by virtue of the fact they're out in the fields, Jesus and his disciples have also technically broke this little tradition that they had. And they did too because they were following him, but they didn't mention that one. But the point is, is that now they're here to accuse Jesus because he's broken one of the little things that they've added on to the law. And so what the Pharisees were doing, think of it this way, that the law is good. We tend to think of in New Testament times, we don't have a whole lot of appreciation for what it meant to God's people in the Old Testament. But think of the law not as being some restrictive, bad religious thing. That's what men turned it into. But the law is a good thing. It sketches out, it outlines how God wanted his people to live for their good and to distinguish them from the pagans and the Gentiles of the world so that their life would be countercultural, and people would come to them because they would want to live in this blessed way that, that God's people were living. And so think of the law as kind of like a belt. You know, belts are good. Belts hold your clothes up. They hold things together. But when you, when you add extra notches to that belt and you cinch that puppy down like a you know, corset in Victorian you know, England, it, it like cuts off your air, right? And so the law is a good thing that God gives. He gives this law, this general law, rest. And the Pharisees came and notched a couple extra holes in that belt, cinched it down, and were strangling themselves with this law. And this is Jesus' response to them in verse 25. And he said to them have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry he and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him and so what is Jesus saying here just you probably didn't read that story this morning to with your coffee And what Jesus is referring to is a scene in the Old Testament from 1 Samuel chapter 21 where David is running from King Saul. Saul has realized that David is going to be the next king of Israel. And so he's hunting David down. And David and his men are fleeing from King Saul. And they're hungry and they're on the run. And they come into this this tabernacle where the priest is there, and, and in fact, David actually lies to the priest and says, hey, we're on a mission for the king. Actually, the king was hunting him down. It's, we're on a mission for the king, and we need some bread. And so they ate, the actually, the, the showbread, this holy bread that was really reserved for the priest, but yet the priest says, okay, well, you're David, you're one of Saul's mighty men, I guess it's okay, and he kind of gives him the bread, and David and his men eat it, and they're nourished. And here's the crazy thing, that really interesting scene in the Old Testament where David lies, where he's on the run, and they take the loaf of bread that should have just been for this religious purposes, and they eat it for nourishment, which like, all through the whole Testament, we're reading that story, and like, whoa, that was strange, how does that apply? And then Jesus brings it up, As an example of why it's okay to eat on the Sabbath and eat this grain. He says, Do you remember that crazy story back in the Old Testament where David actually lied because his men were hungry and they were getting chased down by this wicked king and they were about to starve? And then they just took the loaf of bread that was for some other purpose that you you certainly wouldn't have done, but they ate it? He's saying that because David, do you see that David understood the intent of the Sabbath even better than you did? It was necessary, they needed it. And so they were hungry and they were famished and they were on the run and they needed bread and there was bread and, and they ate it. And so, I mean, the Pharisees, I mean, their minds are starting to just explode. Like, whoa, this is breaking our paradigms. What's happening here? And then Jesus crushes them in verse 27 and he says, He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The belt was made for you. You weren't made for the belt. Do you get that? So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying here, he says, hey, listen, you've taken this good thing from God, and you've turned it in on yourselves, and you've made it into a sort of performance game, when really it was given to bless you and to point you and to give you a life filled with joy and rest. And David, when he needed to go outside of what that law commanded for a time when he's being chased down by evil and starving, ate that because that was the more necessary thing to do in that moment. You see, he's not dictated by this religious paradigm, but he's doing what he needed to do in that situation. And Jesus is saying, even more than that, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying that this law is given like a fence to keep evil and uh, things that will come after you away from you. But you're taking this law and you're making it like a little shock. You know, I grew up um, as a little kid. Every now and again, we'd go up. My mom had horses. and um, I have an older brother whose mission in life when we were little kids was to cause me pain and emotional toil. Um, and... Uh, sure enough, you know, the, in any horse pasture, you, you got the fence and then you got the little electrical shock wire. And my brothers, you know, always tell me, oh man, I turned it off. Just go ahead and touch it. Just climb up there so that you're not, pow. you know, I mean, I, can't, not, I can, can't even count the number of times I got shocked by a fence. And we li- actually live next to a cow pasture right now and there's a little hot wire there and it's dead. The guy didn't have it plugged up, but even just a mental scarring from when I was a little kid, like anytime my kids go, don't, 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 don't touch touch that. And really that's what the Pharisees were doing with this law. Rather than seeing this fence, which was to guard you from things outside, the Pharisees are taking this good law of God saying anytime you get close to it, you're going to get shocked. And Jesus is saying, no, you've turned it around. The fence was made for you. You weren't made for the fence. And in fact, I'm Lord over this pasture and that pasture. I'm Lord over over even the Sabbath in your life. And then he continues on with another scene that I think is very, very similar and connected. Let's read it in Mark 3, verse 1. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So they're not even going to the synagogue to worship on this holy day. They're just going there with bad intentions. Verse 3, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around. Listen to this, verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. Okay, now let's, let's dig into this scene a little bit. So Jesus has had this, this confrontation with the Pharisees in the field, completely busted up their paradigms, left them scratching their ha- heads, And then sometime later we see another scene where he's entering into the synagogue on the Sabbath, which you were not supposed to do any work. And healing is one of those things, like actual medical type of healing, like giving some medicine or balm or salve to heal some wound or to set a broken leg or something that they would have normally done in their capacity as humans to heal would have been one of the things in the 39 categories of extra stipulations that the Pharisees added on to the Sabbath law that you could not do. And so they know that Jesus has this reputation for healing that we've read about in first and second chapters of Mark, and they they're wondering, they're wondering, is is he gonna heal here? And so Jesus comes across this this unsuspecting man with a a withered hand. We don't know what that means, other than he had some sort of some sort of disability or malformity to his hand. And Jesus picks him out as an object of his grace and he says, Come here. Can you imagine just let's just stop and imagine being that guy. You know that there's tensions between Jesus and the Pharisees, and you just kind of want to be sort of over in the corner. You just kind of came to watch, and all of a sudden you get called out. <laughs> Can you imagine? Come here. Huh? Who? Uh, you? you. It's kind of the way Jesus' grace is. It just comes after us, and it gets us. When Jesus is coming after you, 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 just can't, you can't hide in the back of the room. That's the beautiful thing. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how Jesus is the hound of heaven? He's the hound of heaven. And once he's on the scent, once he gets the scent of you, he comes after you with ferocious compassion. And he comes after this man, and he, he now knows the intention of the hearts of those people that were accusing him. And listen to this. They're coming into this room wanting to accuse Jesus, thinking that he might do the very thing that he's about to do, which is a good thing to heal this man's hand, And they're going to call that work, but they were working in their hearts to plot for evil for Jesus, which they completely discount as their own sort of work on the other side of the spectrum. And so Jesus, knowing their hearts because he's God, says, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? I mean, he says, you are accusing me for working to do good, and you're in just a second, once I do this thing, you're going to work to do bad. So you're breaking this very, this silly little regulation that you've put on top of the Sabbath, even yourself. And Jesus calls this man out and he says, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Verse 6 says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Verse 6 is really interesting. Just a little aside. The Herodians were a group of people that bought in to Roman occupation and Roman rule and the Roman way of life. And what would happen is Rome would conquer a people And they would set up their own sort of government amongst those people. And they would oftentimes use some of the leaders, the rulers of those people to establish their own government, would promise them favor and, you know, comfort. And then they would bring in with them this kind of Greek culture, this Greek enlightenment, kind of, you know, just believing that, you know, pleasure and uh, sort of Greek hedonism. And these Herodians are these people who have bought into this and they've turned against their own people, the Jews, and they've become kind of pluralistic relative people. They're just kind of whatever. Let's just go with the Roman way of life. And so they're over on one end of the spectrum as kind of like the liberal pluralist relativist people. And then over on the other end of the spectrum is the zealous Jewish religious people before Jesus came onto the scene, these zealous religious nationalists, the Pharisees, would have hated these Herodians who were sellouts to the Roman Empire and had forsaken God's law. And these Herodians would have hated the nationalists. But Jesus, in his good news, does something only Jesus can do. He brings the Pharisees and the Herodians together to plot to kill him. I mean, Jesus is like that, right? Even the, the religious people hate him, and the worldly people hate him. And what Jesus does is he offers for us a contrasting way to live, the gospel versus religion. Jesus is saying in these two stories about the Sabbath, he's saying, listen, he's saying, I'm not only Lord over the Sabbath and the law, he's saying, I am true rest. The law was given to point you to me. And he's saying, come to me Come to me, you hungry people that are being chased down by an evil tyrant. David, you need bread. Come to me. To to the man whose hand was withered and who needed healing more than he needed the outward observance of the law, he's saying to them and to us, he's saying, come to me. But the Pharisees were saying, No, 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 let's observe, let's let's nail down sort of our own righteousness, let's do these things, let's base our right standing with God on the things that we can accomplish. Do you see the paradigm? See, see the issue of the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 is not just about the Sabbath. Okay, we could spend some time talking about the Sabbath and the Old Testament and how Although it's not a binding law on New Testament Christians, it's a good thing. And we could talk about how you don't need to work, 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 work. And we, talk, we could talk about how we as Americans run around like little mice on crack in an experiment, and we just work too hard, man. We're just crazy. We're just, we're just chasing the next buck, you know. And we're, just, we're just doing it. We're just going, going, going. And how we would be so well served to understand the intent of God's law to give us rest. We could spend some time talking about it. That would be a very valid thing to talk about. And God gives us this law called the Sabbath and he says, rest, rest, and remind yourself that you didn't save yourself, and remind yourself that you didn't create yourself, and remind yourself that you need me. We could spend some time talking about that, but there's an issue underneath the issue here. Jesus is taking this religious observance, it's an observance that the Pharisees have turned into a way to separate themselves, and to perform, and to criticize other people and he's saying you are living bent on self-righteousness and i'm not calling you to that i'm calling you to not look to how you can observe this law but to let this law point you to me because i am the lord even of the sabbath i jesus is saying i'm the rest i'm the sabbath You, you don't get that by just taking a break on friday night through saturday night. he's saying you must come to me I am the true rest. And this gospel message of grace offends both the religious and the worldly. In the letter to Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works. As God did From his. And so the issue is not just the idea of the law of the Sabbath. The issue is that we as people work to justify ourselves. And when we live that way, it leaves us hungry and shriveled. And Jesus in this Sabbath controversy is pointing us to the good news that he is our rest. If you're not yet a Christian, that means that there's no amount of work that you can do. Like, like don't get caught up on the Sabbath law. Just look at kind of just the, the law of morality that all of us sort of understand. You may have come into this room and you think that you're a pretty decent person because you're not so bad compared to the next guy. Do you see what you're doing? Do you see what what you're doing? You're just like that Pharisee because you're taking, for you, it's just relative American morality and you're substituting the issue of the Sabbath in for your morality in for the Sabbath. And so you're just taking another law. You're just taking sort of your own sort of internal code of conduct and you're saying, because I'm pretty much better than the next guy, I'm okay and that's just what the Pharisees were doing. They were saying, because we haven't walked 2,000 paces, we're okay. And because we haven't plucked grain from the field, we're okay. And because we don't do this healing in the synagogue on this day, we're okay. But you see what it is? It's all at the same, it's at the base level of the human heart. It's all just religious self-righteousness. Do you see that? And so, if you came into this room and you think that right standing with God is won by relative law keeping or relative morality, do you see the restlessness? Do you see the futility? Do you see how that leaves you hungry, and do you see how that leaves you leaves you shriveled? Do you see that? And do you see that even now Jesus is saying to you, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you see? See, there's something bigger going on here. It's religious self-righteousness versus salvation and rest in Jesus. And so, so, So how do you view? I mean, all of us are born into a culture where we basically say that right standing with whatever creator out there is sort of won by relative goodness. And if you came into this room sort of thinking that instinctively, I'm here to tell you that that's not the message of the gospel. It's not the message of Jesus. A far, far sweeter message is the message of Jesus to turn from your self-righteousness and to trust in Him. Even now. Even now. Turn from yourself. turn Turn from whatever you think makes you right because the only thing that can make you right is true rest in Jesus. Believing that what Jesus did on the cross for your sin and his resurrection over death and sin and all of its consequences is the only way. Now sometimes in this point of the service, I just, because I I love you and I want to see you turn and trust in Jesus, um, I plead with you There's no amount of human persuasion. There's no amount of emotion. There's no amount of eloquence that can make that real to you. My prayer is simply, if you don't believe that, that God in His mercy, as Ron read this morning, but God, but God, because of His graciousness, would arrest you, would seize you, would blindside you with his grace and give you a heart to cease from your work and trust in him. That's my prayer. And when God does it, here's what God does. He makes the thing that you've scoffed at and scorned and doubted all your life, he, he makes it all of a sudden sort of seem lovely. <laughs> he makes that goofy relative of yours who's always talking about Jesus all of a sudden seem kind of like they're making sense. And right now, your heart may even be pounding because you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Am I becoming a Christian? Yeah, that's how he does it. He he doesn't beat you over the head so that you can start doing his right stuff. He calls you to himself and he gives you rest and joy and a longing for living for him, which is far, far more enjoyable than anything outside of his grace. And Christian, all of these things apply to us as well, don't they? I mean, come on, it's not like we stop striving once we become Christians all of a sudden. That's the whole purpose purpose of the letter to the Galatians. Paul writes to them and he says, you began by grace and now you're trying to prove yourself by your works. Jesus is saying to those of us who already know him, Come to me afresh and I will give you rest. Like come to me, come to me. Stop striving, stop striving. Come to me, come to me. Come to my table even today and remember the cross and remember that my work on the cross once and for all made you right with God. Come to me and cease from your striving and cease from your insecurity and cease from being judged by your body or your check account or your children's performance in some silly little sport. Come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. Now let's pray, Father, as we come now to your table in a few moments. I pray, Lord, for my friends in this room who do not know you. I pray, Lord, that Lord you would that you would turn their hearts from themselves. And that you would give them a new heart so that they can believe you. And so that they can see that you are the only, the only true rest. I think of Augustine's words that our, that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you, oh God. Lord, would people that came into this room not believing in Jesus, not trusting in Jesus, w- would they turn from trusting in their own morality or turn from trusting in whatever it is that has propped them up and would they turn from that rat race? God, would you get them off of the hamster wheel and would you cause them to turn and look to Jesus who is our only true rest? And Lord, would you do that for my brothers and sisters in this room who are Christians but yet we're still battling with this religious old nature to want to get back on that wheel and run and race. Lord, would you remind us that you are our rest and that we can come to you and you take our burdens. Lord, would you do these things for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. And as we come around your table here in these few moments, Lord, would you help us remember Jesus and examine our lives in light of his glorious work on the cross. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.